Hello and welcome to day 86 of our Bible reading course. About four years before writing to the church in Rome, which he didn't know, Paul sent a letter to a church he knew really well, the Corinthians. As we read in Acts chapter 18 a few days ago, he visited the city on his second missionary journey, staying there for 18 months and founding the church. He'd kept in touch since then, and now living in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, Paul had heard reports of divisions and bad behaviour amongst them. They'd also written to him for advice about various matters. 1 Corinthians is his response. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, to the end of chapter 13. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me now, that your word would come alive and bring wisdom and strength to my soul. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them.
there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, 
but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Corinth was a large and important commercial centre, bringing in people from far and wide to form a multicultural, multi-religious and cosmopolitan city. It also had a dubious reputation for immorality, with temples to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, pleasure and sex. Judging by the names of those mentioned in the church in Corinth, it reflected this diversity of backgrounds and cultures. This could have been one reason that they were split into various groups, or even factions, who looked to different Christian leaders, some to Paul, others to Apollos, some to Peter, and others to Jesus himself. Today's reading tackles head-on some of the symptoms of their divisions, and so its theme is unity. Firstly, with regards to communion. The church owned no buildings in those days, so they probably met as smaller groups in each other's homes, out of which the factions may have grown. And then altogether, perhaps on Sundays, in the house of someone who had enough space to accommodate them all. There it seems that an agape-type meal was served in the dining room for the more socially well-to-do members of the church, while everyone else gathered in another room or rooms and may not have eaten at all. Communion was part of the meal, probably taken out to everyone. To Paul this was a travesty and disgrace. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. You despise the Church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. Instead, he tells them to eat together as equal members of the body of Christ, a visible sign of the new community Jesus has birthed through his death and resurrection. The same problem occurs in their use of spiritual gifts, 
the Corinthians placed great emphasis on charismatic worship, and while this could be very edifying and powerful, it had also led them to compare each other's gifts and come up with some kind of pecking order of importance. This again was a complete misunderstanding of the variety God had given them, which was for the blessing and encouragement of the whole body. Indeed, those deemed weaker or less honourable in the church should have a special place and value. They are one body, the body of Christ, of which each individual is an indispensable member. The overriding principle is love, divine love, the love of God in Christ. In the fullness of time, when all their spiritual gifts are but a distant memory, and they see the Lord face to face, it is love that will endure for all eternity. Paul's comments about receiving communion in an unworthy manner are often taken to mean unconfessed personal sin. While this is no doubt part of our preparation, the context of his words is actually about our awareness, love and concern for all those who are gathered with us to take the bread and wine. How does this affect the way I understand the Lord's Supper? Who are those sitting outside the dining room, so to speak, that I need to engage with and share fellowship and communion? Paul's description of the church as the body of Christ implies that everyone has a part to play. Is this the way I think about my local church? Or do I see it more as an organisation, a provider of services and activities, that I can dip into and out of as I please? And taking hold of the metaphor of the body of Christ, which part am I, or could I be? A hand that serves others? An eye that sees how the body is functioning and seeks vision for the way ahead? An ear that listens to God and his people? A mouth that speaks, encourages and teaches? A heart that beats with love for the Lord, his church and the world? A brain that thinks, learns and tries to understand. A foot that moves around to connect God's people or goes out in mission to the world, etc, etc. What do I bring to the body and what do I need from others? And finally, how important is love for me within the context of my local church? Or is it more about meetings? Lord God, my Heavenly Father, I praise you for the way you've arranged the parts of the body of Christ in my local church. Thank you for each and every member and their contribution. Help us to be truly interdependent. Thank you for the rich diversity of people and gifts you have brought together. Help us to empower and release the full range of these for the glory of your name and as a strong sign to a fractured and divided society. 
I pray for anyone who feels unimportant or on the fringes of my church community. Give them confidence to belong and give me an open and welcoming heart that draws them in for our mutual blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen.